All right. Exodus chapter 40. It's been 66 sermons. I actually looked it up um, a year and a half in just under 60 hours. You guys should get a medal or something. <laughs> Win a prize. Do you, do, ooh, we should do that with a punch card. What do you think? Like every 100 hours you get like a free communion cup or something? <laughs> you know, something cheesy, you know. Because you never, those punch cards are never worth it. Like, ooh, you'll get $2 off an appetizer if you eat here 27 times. Mm. There you go. You'll be all right. So, there you go. So we are, we are finishing Exodus today. I, I, every once in a while, I have to pick on myself because I'm looking at my notes. And just, I, I, my notes are not, there's no complete notes. You can see they're literally just like talking points for me so I can kind of remember where I'm at and who, I'm, who I am. Um, I literally have written down here, the reason we separated this off. Who's we? <laughs> Other than me and the voices in my head, I made this decision. So don't ask me why I wrote that in a plural. So uh, Monday mornings are fun. But the reason why this is separated off is because um, we could have stuck it on there to last week, but it functions sort of as a conclusion because it wraps everything up. Because there is a reminder of what's going on in the Exodus, and that reminder needs to be carried forward to the Christian life today, which is... Salvation is not accomplished. This is gonna. Don't don't panic on me. You ready? Salvation is not accomplished when sin is merely atoned for. Salvation is a is accomplished when God and sinner are reconciled, and they dwell together. If you only do step one, you haven't really accomplished anything because you leave people alone. And what are they gonna do? Yeah, they're going to sin some more, and we're going to be stuck. So we've got to accomplish both things. That's what this little section does for us, is it gets us into that completion and wraps up the work that God has done in the Exodus. So, sound like fun? promise we'll try not to make too many jokes and get through this in one piece. And just so I can disappoint somebody, I made mention this week that we've only got, you know, a handful of verses. We're like, oh, we're getting out early. <laughs> no. Have we ever done that before? So, so we can't start now. That would be bad. It would break tradition, and we're Baptists. Once we start doing something a certain way, it can never be changed ever, right? Isn't that how that works? Exactly. That's why, you sit where you, that's why you're sitting where you're sitting, because you sat there one day, and now you're Martin Luther. Here I sit. I can do no other. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I moved up a whole row. <laughs> Incremental changes. The only reason Becca's not farther back is because there's a wall there. <laughs> She would sit in the foyer on the couch, but then she's not technically in the room. And again, I've said this before, I, I, I joke, but we, um, we tried to do a prayer service one time years ago at a church where we actually had prayer prompts on the inside of all the rows. So the idea behind it was you would take the first prompt and you would read it and then you'd pass it along and then you would have prayer time for that thing and then you would pick up the next one. The whole congregation was doing this. So it really behooved you to sit with people. You know, you couldn't sit like three people on this row and four people on that row and one person over there. It wasn't going to work right. And as people came in, I was telling them that. That was a waste of time. As the service began, I announced it, explained why it was going to matter. Guess how many people moved? None. None. Looked at me like I asked if we could slaughter poodles on the altar or something. I mean, they were just like, how dare you ask to, you want me to move? End of the service, I had like dozens of people coming up to me. I wish we had moved closer. It would have been. <laughs> so yeah, I have learned with real-time experience that a Baptist church, it takes exactly four minutes for something to become tradition. So you're stuck. Here we stand. We can do no other. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's actually really cool if you're Israel. I mean, if you go back to Exodus 19, it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were, there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Remember what Israel's reaction to that was? They were terrified. Well, now that isn't up the mountain outside the camp. That is now in the midst of the camp. 
and it's going to be in the midst of the camp every single day. Moses got the significance of it. He recorded more of the information in Numbers 9 for us. On the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle and the tent of the testimony. And in the evening, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously the cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. The presence that has led them throughout this exodus, throughout their journey, is now no longer something that goes before them. It is now something that lives among them. This is a big, big deal. It's a demonstration that what God has promised, he will, he will deliver. What has he promised? Go back to Exodus 19. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called, him, called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That matters because this is the work of salvation being done. God has redeemed them from Egypt, but were we done? No. He has then taken them out to provide for them, to demonstrate his power, his provision, his dwelling with them, and now he will dwell amongst his people. Trivia time, you ready? You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Which apostle used that language to write one of his letters? It was Peter. It's 1 Peter 2. You are a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a people for God's own possession. Peter borrows this language because he recognizes that the work that God is doing in the Exodus and calling Israel and redeeming them is the work that he's doing for the New Testament church in calling people and redeeming them. You are the people of God because of his work, not yours, his work. And <clears throat> Hold on. Almost coughed right into the microphone, sorry. So the, te- the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is big. This is more than just a theophany. All right, and I just used the big words, so let's stop and make sure we define them all. <laughs> theophany. I know I say these a bunch, but I never, I, I, there are words that I still read and go, wait, what does that mean again? So I never assume just because I said it one time like three weeks ago that you remembered what it means. So a theophany literally is an appearance of God. Uh, theos, a uh, Greek word for God. Um, well, Therao is the, uh, the Greek word to bring or to, to, to show before. So a theophany, a bringing before. So it's a demonstration of God. We talked about this with Christophanies, that anywhere basically in your Old Testament that you see God as a man, God walking amongst people, you're basically seeing a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Um, to make sure we're technical with the modern definitions, because Vern asked me about this the last time I said this. Um, if you Wikipedia this, they will only give Christophanies credit in the post um, Resurrection appearances. So Jesus appearing with his resurrected body would be described as Christophanies. Um, Bible-believing theologians will use them for both New Testament and Old Testament. So anytime, so a Christophany is when God appears as a man, because how does God appear as a man? In the second member of the Trinity as Christ. So anytime you see something else standing in for God, that is a theophany. So go back to like our trivia question this morning. If you read Genesis 15, you would have seen go all the way through the covenant. Abram splits the animals and then God walks through them to demonstrate his agreeing to the covenant. But he doesn't go through them, you know, like with feet. It's a flaming oven and a smoking oven and a flaming torch that goes between the pieces which again, we talked about that when we were here in Exodus, God using the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire to connect himself to the work that he did in Genesis 15. So those are theophanies. Here, the theophany, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What does that look like? I don't know. That's why it's continually described as the glory of the Lord. How do you understand it, though? This is where understanding what Christ has done becomes so important. So go to John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is where it's a knock against Christianity if you're trying to be a logical thinker. It is a notch for Christianity, if I, the way I would describe you being a realistic thinker. How good are our descriptions of God? See, we want to give him a lot of credit, but be honest, if you're an atheist from the outside looking in and you listen to the Christian descriptions of God, aren't you kind of looking at him going, 
you could do better. I mean, because you were like, well, he's all powerful and he's loving and he's gracious and he's kind. And you're like, well, so is my dog. What's your point? Well, except for the all powerful part. Except when there's snacks, maybe. But anyway. Why is this? Why, why are they woefully ignorant, basically? Finite people, finite, fallen, sinful people trying to describe an infinite, holy being. You work that out. It's our, our bad example. The bug in the jar will never fully understand the boy who put him there. Guess what we are, Christian? We're the bug in the jar, which now I'm having bad 90s songs flashbacks. But I'm going to stop myself. I'm going to behave. It'll be good. So there you go. <laughs> We're a bug in a jar instead of a man in a box. There you go. Now you're all singing bad 90s grunge, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I just lost where I was completely. Because we cannot describe him, our descriptions fall short. They end up describing him based on what we can know, feel, and experience. Therefore, they're eh. They're great as far as we're concerned because we're believing Christians, but they're eh as far as the world is concerned. But Christian, this is actually our best card to play. Why? Why can't we describe God any better than this? Because he's beyond us. He's greater than us. We can't comprehend him in our tiny little brains. Name me another world religion that, doesn't have that, that has that problem. I'll wait. Because every other world religion starts with who? People. And builds God out in their image, not the other way around. Therefore, they can explain, they can define, they can justify, because they start with themselves and build outward, which means they have a God they can wrap their hands, mind, brain around. We don't. Not telling you it's our greatest argument, but it's a good card that you should play. This is why you see this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. How do the apostles see the glory of Christ? Well, they see him shining on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's part of it, but they also see the teaching. They see the work amongst the people. They see the mercy, the healings, the forgiveness. In other words, they understand who God is based on what God is doing. This is why I tell you to read your Old Testament. You want to get a full understanding that the work of Christ is a fulfillment of the work of God in the Old Testament. Read your Old Testament so that you, so that you can see. You say that three times fast. So that you can see that the work of God has not changed from beginning to end. He's redeeming a people. He's calling them to himself. He is putting them aside so that he may dwell amongst them. Welcome to the work that Christ does in redemption, the work that the Holy Spirit does in sanctification, the work that the Father will do in eternity in glorification. That's why Peter can say, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And by the way, if you are double-checking me later, I apologize, your bulletin's wrong on that one. That says 1 Peter 1, it should be 2 Peter 1. Sorry, it happens. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want somebody to be like, I looked up 1 Peter 1, it doesn't say that. You're right, but 2 Peter 1 does. What's Peter talking about? Peter's reminding you, where should you go for your comfort? Where should you go for an understanding of truth? Where should you go for an understanding of wisdom and knowledge and learning? Because the temptation is to go to world experiences. The temptation is to go to, hey, we went up the mountain. We heard the voice. We saw the glory. The tabernacle was filled if you're Israel. Don't go there. Go to the prophets. Go to the commands. Why does Moses come down the mountain and write down the words of God? I mean, let's be honest. We went through all the laws that God gave Israel. If you were standing at the foot of the mountain and it was quaking and there was the cloud and the smoke and the lightning and, you know, Moses' face looks like he's been in front of Chernobyl and all of this is going on, are you forgetting anything? No. That would be a little bit traumatic and some you, you'd be able to sit down and recount that story to your grandkids like... You know, we talk about big events in life. Uh, those of you that are old enough, if I ask you where were you when Kennedy was assassinated... You, you know, for those of you that are in my generation or a little bit younger than that, so, so where were you about 10 a.m. on September 11th, 2001? You know, because it was such a big event. You, you re people remember details like what they were wearing and what they had for breakfast and who they talked to on the phone. Stuff you, like, who'd you talk to on the phone last Thursday? 
But people remember who they talked to on the phone that day, who they called immediately, what, they, what channel they watched. People remember t- because it was such a big event. Imagine the mountain quaking and the thunder and the lightning and the tablets. You'd remember all of it. Do we need to write this down? Yes. Yes, we do. Because we need to be reminded regularly. How many times have you read a passage in your Bible and you read it for the third, fourth time and all of a sudden something just like hits you in the back of the head? You're like, how did... Why did I, that's been there, like the whole time, because you weren't ready to deal with that. And the Holy Spirit was like, not yet. The Holy Spirit told you, now's the time to deal with it. This is why, again, I encourage you, read your Bible. Even if you're just one of those people who be like, I read it just to say I read it that day. Good, read your Bible. It will do you good, because the Holy Spirit is at work. God is accomplishing, he is building, and he is strengthening. That's what Peter in 2 Peter is pointing out. He's like, we saw all this stuff. Read the prophets. Read the letters. Read the, read the work that Christ, the, uh, the words that Christ has done. Read the Gospels. Read these things because that's where the work is more certain. That's where the soul is nourished and the heart is strengthened. That's why Moses is writing this stuff down. That's why we have Exodus because Israel going into the land needed to be reminded of everything that had gone on. The history going back to Abraham. The history of what happened with them with Egypt. How many people God carried through? Do you ever wonder why numbers is there? Like, did you care? about the census of Israel? You maybe didn't, but you ever read those numbers and be like, God shepherded all of those people in that wilderness. He fed them. He gave them quail. He made sure they had water. And it wasn't just like eight people, you know, just one something small, like maybe like eight people on a boat in a storm, you know, because he could do that one too if you go back and read seven, eight, nine in Genesis. But he's shepherding all of this and he's dealing with people that are walking in faithfulness, and people that are in rebellion, and he's accomplishing all of these things at all of these times because he's able and he's capable. This should be good news for you, Christian, because if he can deal with them, he can deal with us. And I know I say that all the time, but be honest. How often does it feel like in your day that sometimes he's not? You know where that problem lies? You, because what was, what was the problem word in that sentence? Some days it just feels like he's not working. What was the problem word? Feels. Read your Bible and know. Read your Bible and see the work that he has accomplished and rejoice that his work is being accomplished, that he is bringing to pass the good things that he has promised, that he is judging sin and carrying his people into eternity all the time, that he is sanctifying, that he is redeeming, that he is doing all of these things, whether you feel like it or not. So let's continue. Verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Doesn't that kind of defeat the whole purpose of the tabernacle? Like, wasn't the reason to erect the tabernacle so that the priests could go in and do the work? Like, isn't that the whole reason we built this thing and had... This, this seems counterproductive to me. So here's your fun, fun question. I don't have, Matt would get this one right because Matt's learned me. Not, not, not you, Matt, the other Matt. <laughs> hey, the Matt with all the kids. <laughs> Apparently that's the requirement in this church. If you're named Matt, you need to have a bunch of kids. So there you go. <laughs> Those are the rules. I don't make the rules. I just live by them. <laughs> but Matt would get this one right because he knows me too well at this point. So is this counterproductive? See, Matt would go, Maybe. <laughs> Is it counterproductive to them going into the tabernacle to do the work? Yes. Is it counterproductive to them learning something about God? No. Second Chronicles 5. When the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves with regard to divisions, and all the little... Don't ask me where that word just went, because it was on my tongue, and then it went. All the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, Jedathon, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets. That's a choir right there. In unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. So in other words, God did it twice. 
He does it at the entering into the tabernacle, and he does it at the entering into the temple. And that's kind of a big deal because, I mean, there's divisions of priests and hundreds of musicians and singers and family. I mean, this is like a big deal. They're doing a whole full-blown dedication thing. Oh, and that reminds me, completely unrelated to anything, but um, I actually had someone, remember a couple weeks ago, or probably a couple months ago at this point, I made a joke about the Mormons who let, they'll let you go into the temple before they sanctify it and you tore it, and I didn't know why they did that. I actually had a Mormon get in, an ex-Mormon get in touch with me and say, yeah, we just do that for pride. We like to show off. <laughs> So I was right. So hang on. There we go. <laughs> Break my own arm, patting myself on the back. So there you go. So God's doing this at the dedication of the temple, which is kind of a big deal. What's he demonstrating? That there's a lesson about humanity going on all the time. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. How many of you would like to sign up for this vision? That's, that's cool, right? That's a story to tell your kids, right? And I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I cannot stress this enough for scriptural continuity. Humanity has a fundamental problem. Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. That's humanity's default. Israel is supposed to be different. Israel is supposedly the redeemed people of God, removed from Egypt, provided for by the grace and mercy of God in the wilderness, purchased by his work, following according to his law, walking in the covenant that has been made, being a different people. As we have seen, Israel, when left to her own devices, is a godly nation or a pagan nation? They're, I mean, they're, Mo, Moses has been up the mountain for 40 days. They couldn't make it a month. One month. I mean, plus a little bit, but we're, I mean, we're rounding this off. They couldn't make it. He's been gone. You know what we better do? We better go engage in cheap idolatry of the likes of which God has literally just told us a month ago, while the mountain is still quaking, filled with smoke, lightning and thunder, while that is still going on, we're going to be like, you know, we can make a calf. It's okay. It's just a little cow sculpture thing. It'll be awesome. Good plan. Until it's not. Israel's supposed to be different. When left to their own devices, they are not. Now, the church is supposed to be different. When left to its own devices, what are we? <laughs> Connect back to a story that I didn't plan on being a part of this. So see, sometimes my jokes are important. Not all the time, but sometimes. We can't move forward one pew so that we can engage in a service properly. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the, the, the other church with the prayer service thing. You, you can't for one Sunday be bothered to sit next to somebody else because you want me to sit with those people? Always remember who they are. No, no, no. They're not us, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's how we, it, to be honest, that's how you think about humanity, right? I said that in a meeting. Well, I didn't say that. A friend of mine said that in a meeting because I got tired of, um, I kept getting the, 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 the lovely Baptist church argument. Well, there are people, they're not happy. And I couldn't take it anymore after like three months, so I said the unsayable. Who are they? And someone who was kind of on the same side as me went, those that are not us. <laughs> meeting was over at that point because nobody could take anything else seriously, but I was happy, so it was okay. But that's how we end up thinking about it, even when it's, it is us, because we are supposed to be us, but a lot of times we become they because we're thinking like the world. The church is supposed to be different. When left to its own devices, is it? 
This is why the work of Christ and salvation is so important. That, this is why the picture that's going on here has to be carried to fruition. Because you can take pagan Israel. You can pull them out of Egypt. You can show them the plagues. You can part the Red Sea. You can give them manna from heaven, water from a rock, lightning, smoke, thunder, the whole nine yards. You can give them the covenant. You can provide all of these things. You can put God in the tabernacle, in the camp. There's fire at night. There's smoke in the day. You wake up in the morning to go get your manna and look out, and there is a pillar of smoke going up to heaven every single morning. And these people will do what? What they want. They will sin. They will rebel. They will walk their own way. Why? Because the human heart left to its own devices is broken. And not a little bit broken. I mean, like, broken. This is why Paul's declaration in 1 Corinthians 6 is so important. Such were some of you. And if you want to know what the such were, because I ran out of room on my paper, um, go back and read verses 9 and 10. It's a heck of a list. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What separates us from them? Not our wisdom, not our brilliance, not our awesomeness, the work of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the only thing. The only thing that keeps the people of God now from being like the people of God then is the fact that he has indwelt his people with his Holy Spirit. That's it. There's no other hedge. This is why I tell you to have the uncomfortable conversations in the mirror. Because when you have those uncomfortable conversations, what you're really saying is, Holy Spirit, I want my butt today because I need it. Because you do. And by you, I also mean me. We need that work day in and day out because anything else is me operating in whose power? Mine. When left to my own devices, I'm going to be what? I'm going to be broken and pagan, and sin-filled. Not just sinful, sin-filled. Because that's what the heart wants, and that's what the heart desires. And that's what the lesson, part of the lesson of Israel is. I cannot get enough water today. Apparently the heat's running. Are you guys warm enough, or are you all freezing? (laughs) There's humanity in a nutshell. Every dude just went, I'm good. Every woman was like, we're cold. Does your nose goes? Well, doesn't that just mean you're healthy if your nose is cold? That's a dog. Okay. <laughs> your your nose is cold and wet. You're good, right? That's how this is supposed to work. <laughs> well, you know, to each their own. <laughs> I do the same thing to camera. Don't feel bad. This is the warning, though. This is why these lessons are so important, is what Israel is being shown is that God can demonstrate all these things, and yet, is that demonstration enough? No, because a demonstration, while it proves who he is and describes him for us, it doesn't change you. His work changes you. The work of the Spirit changes you from the inside out. This is why we walk in it. Let's continue. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. That sounds easy, right? They stay camped until who says to go? God. By the way, you want a great example of this? Rewind in your Bible and go read about Noah again. God tells Noah to build a boat. Noah builds a big boat. Noah climbs into the boat. God closes it up and seals the door. You know, the rain and the whole story. Then they get to the end and he starts sending out the birds, right? The bird, one of the last bird doesn't come back, which tells Noah what? There's land. So Noah gets out of the boat, right? No. He waits another month because God doesn't tell him to get out of the boat. So in other words, when God tells you to get in, when do you get out? <laughs> when God tells you to get out. So throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. This is just simple, basic instruction. Go to Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life in order that you may live and your descendants by loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. In other words, it's simple. 
you're encamped. How long are you camped? Till God says we're moving. How long do we travel? Till God says we stop. That sounds real simple, doesn't it? It starts that simple, Christian. Where do you go? Where God has proclaimed. How do you walk the way that God has proclaimed? It's an object lesson. It's a simple object lesson, but it's still a lesson in obedience to the people. Why? Leviticus 19. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his father and his mother. Keep my Sabbaths, for I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Excuse me. This matters because if you can't follow simple instructions, what are you going to do when you get the complex ones? Almost like, um, maybe there's a parable somewhere that talks about people being faithful with a little bit and then being granted more. That would be a good lesson in the New Testament, wouldn't it? Somebody should, somebody should have said that. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. So let's continue. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. So when God says travel, we travel. When God says don't travel, wait for it, we don't travel. The New Testament doesn't change this. As a matter of fact, it actually expands on this. It just applies it to more areas of life. Let's go back to our uh, buddy Peter today. 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Paul makes the same argument in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Here's where churches mess up, and here's where Christians get messed up. And if I've done this to you in the past, I am sorry because I am not perfect, and I've probably done this a few times, and I didn't mean to. I will never forget, we used to have an annual revival service, which always made me question how you schedule revive, revival, but it's a thing you do in the South, so you do it every year. But, you know, we need to schedule a revival. Well, why don't we just schedule it for right now and be done? And then I don't have to do extra work, but never mind. <laughs> we... um. For some odd reason, we brought in a speaker, and I don't remember if this was a revival. No, this wasn't a revival service. This was Baptist Men's Day. That's, this was a Baptist Men's Day. Cameron will remember this because I was, I was livid for an entire afternoon. <laughs> I was a youth pastor, and our Baptist Men's Group brought in a weatherman. I'm not kidding. Yeah, his name was Johnny Cash. <laughs> he was a weatherman, a local weatherman who was also an evangelist. Wrap your brain around that combination. I'm like, how do you lie to me on TV about the weather? But anyway. <laughs> and he did a whole Sunday morning. <laughs> Terry's like, yes! Yeah, he was sick of that joke by the end of that morning because everybody, everybody that met him said that joke at some point or another. Um, his entire sermon that morning, talk about remembering random things, was a rundown of all the places in the New Testament where you are told to be holy and follow after God for like 40 minutes. And then the end was, you know, an encouragement for us Christians to walk as God has called us to. I was livid for an entire afternoon because you know what he never told us? Why or how? Why or how? And I'm not perfect, so I'm sure I've messed this up as well, but because I encourage you on a regular basis to be sanctified, to walk in the ways that God has called you. But I try to make sure I do it on a regular basis by telling you why and how because of the work that God has done, and by following the precepts he's laid down because of your new heart. In other words, rejecting the things of the world and following after the things of the Spirit. If you don't get that, if you don't have the why and the how, all we're giving each other is a smack in the back of the head. I grew up with that, Dad. There were times I was like, what did I do this time? You should know. I don't? Yeah, yeah, then you spend the rest of the day going, I would really like to not do that again. I would really like to know how to avoid that. I mean, my mother and I used to have that conversation. Is dad in a bad mood about anything? Yes. Okay, good. Then I didn't do anything wrong. At least whatever he's mad about isn't me. Go team. I can hide in my room. I mean, this is not God. This is not how the Holy Spirit operates. It's not just do better. No, it's turn away from sin and trust in his work. So, I want to make sure we expand on this in the New Testament the way that the apostles would have expanded on it. So I read you 1 Peter 1, be holy for God is holy. Let's read 1 Peter 2. 
putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I read you Ephesians 5.1, be imitators, excuse me, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's read Ephesians 5.2. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is where I have to do a lot of trusting because I have to trust that God is doing his job and he's better at it than I am, which again is one of the dumb things that I say out loud, but it's hard to live there, isn't it? That God is going to do this so I don't have to. (laughs) Nobody likes to live there. But if the Holy Spirit has indwelt you because you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, then you will, by nature, long for the things of God. You may not long for the things of God the way I want you to do it. You may not long for them the way your spouse does it. But you will long for the things of God in who you are and how you walk. I mean, be honest. Some of us are readers and some of us aren't, right? We can admit that. Like, some of us would be like, reading a book is like, I would rather have a root canal than read a book. I get that. That's why I tell you, get an audiobook of your Bible because it's helpful to know scripture. But it's not gonna be like, which, read your Bible, which, evil Christian going to hell, not reading your Bible, which, which. Some of you people can pray. You know, who's, you know who's probably the worst prayer in this room? This guy right here. You know why? Have you seen me in Sunday school class and in this service? Can you imagine me when it's quiet trying to keep a train of thought? It's, oh my, I have sat there and been like, you were praying. And it's like, yeah, I was. Stop yelling at me. And I'm, I'm the one yelling at me. Because my brain goes here, there, everywhere. I keep telling you there's squirrels running into each other, beating each other up, throwing each other out the window. I don't know what's going on in there. Some of you are awesome in prayer. Do me a favor. Pray. Because as the body of Christ, I need you to pick up where I am lacking. This is why I study, because I can pick up where you are lacking. This is how we work together. Your Christian walk will not look like mine. Please do not beat yourself up because your Christian walk doesn't look like somebody else's. Your Christian walk needs to look better today than it did yesterday because you are honoring the work of the Holy Spirit and doing the things that God has called you to do. If God wanted them to do it, what would he have done? He'd have sent them. He didn't send them. He sent you. That's when people look at me. I literally just had this conversation a few weeks ago. I, I, I'm, I was the wrong person to, to, to talk to this person about Christ. Now you aren't. Now you aren't. You know how I know that? Because you were the one who talked to him. You were the person standing there when the topic came up and the opportunity was there, which means you are the exact right person to have that conversation. Because God is running a universe and he's doing it orderly and efficiently. Let's go back to Ephesians 5. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is all part of your how, by the way. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. All right, some of you can't sing, and some of you probably shouldn't sing. That's okay. I'm with you. That's why Cameron sings, and I don't. As somebody once told me, you can't carry a tune in a bucket. I get that. Does that mean I can't be encouraging? Does that mean I can't be reminded of good teaching in music and good teaching in Scripture and proclaim that? No, it doesn't mean that. It means I do it in my way. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's your how. Again, your New Testament is not sitting there cracking the whip. The only people Jesus cracked the whip on were who? The evil pagans at the temple who were corrupting the work of God. That's who you cracked the whip on. Assuming the best of God's people, we encourage, we build up, we strengthen. Assuming what? Your sin is not my sin. Your encouragement is not my encouragement. Your gifting is not my gifting. Therefore, your walk looks different than mine. Your offering unto the Lord on a random Tuesday looks different than my offering to the Lord on a random Tuesday. But they are both good and pleasing in his sight as they are offered in the Holy Spirit. Now, who knows if that's right or not? And who else? You know. You know why you did it. 
you know what you are attempting to accomplish. Have a clean conscience before God. This is part of your how. This is part of your holiness. You want to be holy as God is holy? It's not something going, I'm going to do better today. No, I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit is spurring me to do, which is live my life as an offering unto God. If that spurring is, I need to read my Bible today. Then you know what you should do that day? Read your Bible. If that spurring is, I need to spend more time in prayer. Spend more time in prayer. Here, you ready? Oh, you ready? I'm, I'm going to get kicked out of the meetings. I always joke when I tell Cameron stuff, be like, do me a favor. Next time you go to the meeting with all the women, let them know something. Like, so I always joke with myself about going to the meeting with all the pastors. They're going to throw me out for this one. If you're a person who you try to pray more and you try to do more prayer, I'm not telling you not to do that, but you find that you're like me and you're a squirrel and your brain's going this way and that way, you know what you're not good at? Spending a lot of time in prayer. You know what you should do? Don't give up prayer, but spend time figuring out what you are good in so that you can be of more use to the kingdom. In other words, I should pray more. Okay, then pray more. But I can't. Then, then why are we fighting? Why are, why are you beating yourself literally to death because you are not doing the thing you're not able to do? I didn't say you're off the hook on prayer. I didn't say you're off the hook on communion with God. I didn't say you're off the hook on reading your Bible. I didn't say you're off the hook on encouraging people. I said, do that when you have opportunity, but don't kill yourself because you're not doing it more. Kill yourself you're not doing more of the things that you're actually good at the things that you're actually gifted at. This is Christian sanctification. This is Christian maturity, is recognizing that while I want to do this thing, I'm really not good at that thing. So I will do what I can and then do the thing that I'm good at and trust that God will raise up people to do the thing that I am lacking, that God will bring teachers and prayers and administrators and givers and servers and all of these things into the one body. This is the work that he accomplishes through his spirit. This is how we walk in holiness as he is holy. By being better in how he has called us and not by going, all right, I was this, I'm going to now be that thing over there. No, 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 you're going to be the perfected version of you. Not the perfected version of me, not the perfected version of Martin Luther, not the perfected version of Billy Graham. You're going to be the perfected version of you. And you will glorify God for all the warts and flaws that he has covered over, for all the things that he has smoothed out, and for all the graces that he has carried you across with. Because those were your sins. That was the grace he poured out in your life. And you will praise and you will glorify because of the work that he has done, making you the worshiper into Christ-likeness in how your personality works. Which means, guess what, Christian? You're going to be telling the same crummy jokes in heaven. Isn't that fun? Why? Because you think they're funny. And that's awesome, even if I don't think they're funny. Because God has made you, and he has redeemed you to be the perfected version of you in his kingdom, whether I like it or not. Whether you like it or not. So look each day, have the conversation with you, and then deal with what? Your sins and your sanctification. So let's finish up. Fourth through... Oh, the microphone just went away. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. That should have been a comfort, shouldn't it? If it's not a comfort, it should have at least been a judgment, right? <laughs> I mean, Deuteronomy 31, Moses got this. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them, just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do, them, do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Something Israel was supposed to remember, isn't it? Go to Psalm 78. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned their back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. Now, here's the thing. This is again where I say you have to trust in the work that God is doing. Why were they capable of turning their back on God's covenant and walking away? They were left to their own devices. 
What changes the hearts and minds of men? The Holy Spirit. What else? Like, what's, what's 1A on that list? Right answer. There isn't one. God changes the hearts and minds of people. Nothing else can. Nothing else can. This is why we proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Because that's the message that brings about repentance. And repentance is what brings about the work of God. Again, faith in God's promises, bringing about his spirit so that you can walk faithfully with him. Remember, obedience always follows faith, not the other way around. Therefore, we proclaim Christ and him crucified. We walk as though Christ is crucified and raised again and actually sanctifying a people because it is our proclamation. It's a reminder of the promises, a reminder of the work. If you are capable of walking out, it's because they went out of us because they were not of us. This is instructive about God. Go to Isaiah 4. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. Actually, I read part of this this morning in Sunday school. Isaiah 3 is one of those passages where God is promising judgment on sin while also promising restoration. It will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is, in, who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke and the brightness of a flaming fire by night. Gee, I wonder what imagery Isaiah was trying to make you think about. For over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give, to give shade from the heat of the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. In other words, the people who remain, the people who have trusted in God for their salvation, he will redeem, he will provide for, and he will comfort. What has been the entire point of the Exodus? That God has redeemed a people. And those who trust in him, he will do what for? He will redeem them. He will purchase them. He will comfort them. He will protect them. And he will guide them. And how many of them will be lost? <laughs> None. What's the problem with Israel? How many are faithfully following? <laughs> I got news for you. It's a really low number. It's not zero, but it's a really low number. I mean, even Moses himself is going to dishonor God in the presence of the people. This is, what the, this is why I say you want to understand your prophets, understand Exodus. You want to understand the work of God in salvation in the New Testament, understand the work of God of salvation in the Old Testament because it's the same work. Exodus is a giant object lesson to the people of God on who he is, what he does for his people, and what we seemingly do at every turn in response. That's why, what, that's why the, um, the thesis statement of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the first gospel I ever preached all the way through. The thesis statement of that gospel is in chapter 19. It's verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what the entirety of the Gospel of Luke is trying to demonstrate to you, is Christ saving sinners. Do you know which story that thesis comes at the end of? It's the Pharisee and the tax collector going into the temple. And the Pharisee, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there. But I give you tithes out of my garden, and I do all of these wonderful things. And the tax collector is standing before God because he realizes what? Yeah, that, that I'm not that guy. And he doesn't say, Lord, make me like him. He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the punchline is what? Which one of these men went home justified? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's the same message. It's the same work that has always been done. This is Israel's problem. Why is, why is God redeeming Israel? Because Israel's just so good at life, they're killing it. They got a nation, they got crops, they're numerous people. They're just, they're loving life, right? They're in slavery to Egypt. They don't come and go as they please. As a matter of fact, when Pharaoh's mad at him, he takes their kids and does what with them? You know what? There's too many of you people. Let's start chucking some of your babies in the river. That's a good plan. <laughs> I mean, let's not forget where Exodus starts. And Israel is doing so well that they're up in arms and winning victorious battles against the Egyptians to protect their children, right? They're going, eh, we can maybe hide them for a few weeks and see how that works out for us. No. They're small and they're weak and they're helpless. They are 
lost. They are broken. And this is who God loves. And in response for that love, he gets what in return? <laughs> What's changed, by the way, Christian? Nothing, because humanity, when left to its own devices, walks in sin and iniquity, which is why when God redeems people, he changes them as well. Thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians 1. The Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God in him, talking about Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. This is part of that reminder. This is why Paul in Hebrews can say that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's quoting Deuteronomy because the Holy Spirit has been granted as a pledge. Faith precedes obedience. We walk because we have been changed. What does that walk look like? It's different. Different for you than it is for me. Your work is different than mine is. Your family is different than mine is. Be thankful, by the way. (laughs) But the same God who has redeemed me and is strengthening me to walk by his Spirit is the same God who has redeemed you and is strengthening you to walk by the Spirit. Which means while the walk may look different, the principles remain. And they are built on love of God because he has first loved us. And love of those that he has given us influence over because we care about the destiny of the people around us. And it is love of the gospel message because it is the only thing that changed us and it is the only thing that will change them. And love of holiness because it is the thing that he has promised and the thing that we long for in this dark, dark world. And again, the details will be different, but the principle remains. This is what Israel missed. This is what so many Christians miss in how we end up with churches that don't call anybody to account because, well, you know, the blood will cover it and, and, you know, we don't need to worry about sin because Jesus... Don't worry about sin for a few minutes and what's going to (laughs) happen. Just ignore sin for a couple of years and what will your life look like? Yeah, you get it, you know. But on the flip side, does it do me any good to, you know, grab a chair and beat you up over the head with it? You know who knows your sin real well? You do. I don't have to beat you up with it. You will do an awesome job of that if I just get you thinking about the work of God and sanctification. Therefore, we have to find the right road, the one that leads to Christ, the one that points out that we're broken. And yeah, we know that, but I know that there's a cure because by his grace and his mercy, we are healed. And by his promises, we know there's an eternal kingdom where this is all going to be cast away. And in the meantime, I don't have to live like that. And I don't have to walk in this thing that I hate. And I can go to war with it. And I know that there is another group of people in this world that actually cares about the things that I care about. And there are people that are picking up where I am lacking. And there are people that need me to pick up where they are lacking. And therefore, I can be encouraged that God has made us a nation. And that God has made us priests who can commune with him. And that can work with one another and proclaim his mercies. And that God has made us a people in a world that is just so, so often. That's a technical term, by the way. And because of that, we can rejoice. And we can be spurred forward because we know that what he has promised is good because Christ has not forsaken. Because if he didn't forsake those people, (laughs) because be honest, how many times do you want to reach in your Bible and smack the Israelites in the Exodus? If he didn't forsake them, he's not going to forsake us. And he's going to deliver upon what he has promised. And what he has promised is perfection in his kingdom. And in the meantime, I can live like I'm headed in that direction because he is at work in me and I know what is good and right because he is teaching me what is good and right. And if I have questions, he's given me a standard. And if I have worries, he has given me prayer. And if I have fear, he has given me a community because he has not forgotten any of his provision. Let's pray.